when I got in, it was very much, this isn't for me. Um, and that was very difficult, right? Because I'd, I'd moved, it was an alien environment to me. I was studying for these exams and I realised the job role wasn't for me as well. Welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where I interview leaders not defined by position or title. Everyday people who lead their lives in extraordinary ways. And on this podcast, they share their stories, their life lessons and practical tools in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are everyday leaders. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with one of the only 12 black fund managers in asset management. At least that was the case according to a new financial report in 2017. Justin Nwekusi shares his story of navigating that industry. He talks about how relationships are key to your progress. He shares how proactive is so much better than being reactive. We talk about the importance of family and having a great support network around you. It gives examples of being authentic both at home and at work and why it's so important. And he actually gives another great example of what it looks like when your C-suite are on board to create a truly inclusive culture. Let's jump straight into this episode as you're going to learn a hilarious story of how his teacher's lie ended up leading him into asset management. Welcome to Everyday Leadership. So today I have the pleasure of sitting down and talking to Justin Nwekusi. Have I got that right? So I pronounce it Nukasi. Nukasi. Yeah. That's what my dad pronounced it. But I think if you took it the, the Igbo way, it'd be Onyekusi. For those who don't know, like Justin, Justin's uh, is the head of retail multi assets at Legal in General. He is one of the, I think, it's what thirteen black, yeah, fund managers. So we're definitely going to dive into that. But even before we do that, at the time of recording this, we've just gone into lockdown three point oh. Now, if there's someone who looks after a team, your husband, your father. I think we're gonna write to ask like how are you how are you feeling? Um I suppose first of all I'm not happy <laughs> about it, but the, but that's not gonna help anything, is it really? Um so I, I I I always look at these things as challenges and I think as as people, you know, we're always there's always challenges put in front of us. Um so I, I always look at, you know, what what can we actually do to navigate this challenge. And actually, I think is that that's driving me to kind of get through this more than anything else. You know, how can we improve communication in the team? How can we create initiatives to drive better performance? How can, uh, as a family unit, for example, to, to your daughters, how can, uh, my, how can I help my daughters navigate this? Uh, and I think those kind of challenges to me actually drive me to 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 kind of to, to kind of get through um get through this was there anything that the last lockdown that you learned from that you're definitely going to implement again that that can help yeah so I, I think the key thing for me is 
um, being more organized with my time. Um, so one of the things I've done for the next six weeks, I've gone through my whole calendar and I've actually specified uh, the time that I, I want to spend with my family, you know, or maybe it might be lunch here, dropping my daughter off at nursery, one of my, my youngest daughters off at nursery, nurseries are still open. Um, it might be sitting down doing some homeschool, homeschooling with my kids, sitting down with my wife in the evening, um, you know, all of these things now I'm putting into the calendar because if you don't do that, then other things, urgent things will come up and you'll just push back those important prior those important priorities. Uh, so actually having prioritized those important things, I think are, are really important. And that's definitely something I've done this time around. I'll, I'll let you know whether it works, <laughs> but it's, um, I, I think actually having, having that mindset uh, sh should, should help me anyway. Oh, I like that. That's really important, isn't it? Like you prioritize what is important to you rather than letting other things fill your calendar, which can, which we all know happens easily. Yeah. Yeah. And just looking at your, um, your career and what you said, obviously you work as one of the only 13 black fund managers in the UK. I'm curious to find out how did you actually get into asset management? Was this something that you, you wanted to do from when you were a child or? Uh, not really. So my desire to get into the city was really driven by a discussion that I had with a sixth form math tutor uh, on a open day when I was do when I was looking forward to doing my A levels. I knew I wanted to do um, maths and politics, and I, I felt that actually economics was probably the sen as the sensible A level to do alongside them. I was always good at maths, num number one, politics because uh, I was very interested at the time in the uh, in political movements in particular, uh, it was a time when New Labour had come into power. It was like, you know, there's a, a change in the political scene and so on and so forth. So it just grabbed my interest. And then economics kind of sits in the middle of politics and maths in a way. So uh, uh, that's why I chose those three A-levels. But the, the head of maths, when I was walking around the open day at Sixth Form College, he, he asked me, um, you know, do I want to be... He said that if I do maths, I'll have a chance of of um, becoming an actuary, and and I, I didn't know what what one was until then, and I was like, okay, what's that? And he goes, you know, you can use stats and so on and so forth, uh, and you get to use your maths, and you get to help solve complex problems, and it's the highest paid profession in the world. And I was like, really? <laughs> so I, I so after after that, I thought, well, I've never really had money. And growing up, so that that sounds really interesting to me, and actually gets you know maths as well. So I, I I I pursued this actuarial profession all throughout my A levels, throughout university. I went to University of Economics at Warwick, uh, and then I started doing actuarial work in what was it two thousand and three, just after the dot com bubble burst, and um, I realised that you know after. After you know, it, well, first of all, it wasn't the highest paid fresh in the world. He lied about that, <laughs> and then, and then it, it just wasn't for me. Uh, and you know, it's a great profession, but it, it just wasn't for me. I needed something that was a bit more fast moving. Uh, it's pension consulting where I was, 
I need something that was a bit more dynamic, a bit more fast and moving. And therefore, uh, investment consulting uh, was uh, an area within that pension, within within consulting, which which to me was just a lot more interesting to me. Um, why? Because um, you know, understanding equities, asset classes, bonds, property, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, was just just seemed a lot more interesting to me. So after eight months of working within the actuarial profession, I kind of knocked on the head of investment consulting's door uh, in where I was at Aon Consulting and said, look, is there any chance that I can move to investment consulting? Um, And, you know, within a month, he interviewed me, um, interviewed me with one of the team heads, and I was on the investment floor, uh, on the investment consulting floor. And then, you know, the, the, I suppose the rest is history. Then I realized I did really have a strong passion for investment. And that's the area I wanted to remain in. Uh, very early on, they pushed me to go and see clients. They were like, so I, I dropped the actual exams. I did exams called the CFA, uh, Charter Financial Analyst exams. Uh, and, you know, I quickly got through them. Uh, and they were like, go and see clients, go and see clients. And I was like, well, I'm only like 24, 25, uh, and I don't really know anything. So, um, you know, let me kind of focus on investments, first of all, understand investments before going to see clients. So I moved to Merrill Lynch to do uh, investment research, uh, fund research in the wealth management division. And then the head of portfolio construction at Merrill Lynch, three years later, moved to Aviva Investors. And he asked me to come and join him. He said, you know, you, you did a great job with me at Merrill Lynch, uh, working with, with me at Merrill Lynch. So I come and join my team at Aviva Investors to become a multi-asset fund manager. And yeah, I, I, since then, I, I've never really, really looked, looked back. It's worth noting that 13 black fund managers point, um, that was based on a report um, by New Financial. It was actually 12 in 2017. I think there have been more more pointed since then, but I suppose the message is still very similar. Um, there is a stark underrepresentation of black fund managers in in the city of London, and, and to a point where it's pretty embarrassing. Yeah, that's that's a point I definitely want to explore. But there's something in your story that you just mentioned. I think you just kind of skipped over and I want to go back to him. When you, to get into your first role, your actual role, this is when you finished Warwick University. Yeah. You were straight A students, Russell Group, but it took you a very long time to get that first actual role. Yeah. And yeah, when you got that, when you finally got that role, you were still willing to be like, this is not serving me. I need to move into something else. Yeah. So... No, 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 you're right. I applied to between 60, I made between 60 and 70 job applications as a third year student at university. Um, I realized very quickly, I failed to get an internship in my, in my second year. Um, so I realized that, you know, this was, it's either I get a role now or I go back to um, you know, I go back to Manchester and 
and you know, if I'm not going to get a role after applying for sixty or seventy roles, uh, sixty or seventy jobs, then you know, what hope will there be <laughs> if I go back to Manchester? So, um, so, so yeah, I, 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 I for, for a lot of the companies that I applied for, I just didn't simply hear back from them, to be honest with you. Um, but there, there were definitely a lot of roles that that, um, that I went for, all actuarial roles. Um, because I was determined to get into to get into the to, to the industry, and, and then you're right. When I got in, it was very much this isn't for me, um, and that was very difficult, right? Because I'd, I'd moved from Manchester to London. Um, it was an alien environment to me. I was studying for these exams, and I realised the job role wasn't for me as well. Um, but yeah, I. I, I, I I took it on myself, I suppose, to go and to go and to to, to really change and uh, change my role. And it goes back to I don't know if you've read the book, The Seven Habits of Effective People, which I've, I've started to. Um, well, I've, I've recently just finished again. I think it goes back to this proactivity versus reactivity, and that you can change your own destiny by being proactive, uh, and and that's something that, for whatever reason, I've always strived to do. That's oh, powerful. I think especially in a time right now where there's been a lot of changes that this pandemic has created and that people either questioning, should I move from what I'm doing right now, which I don't want to do, and move to something else, or people who've actually lost their jobs and then worry about transferable skills, being able to realise that actually it's possible for you to make that change because you own your destiny rather than letting someone else control that. Yeah, yeah, I can, I completely agree. There is um, a thought that people always say, follow your passion. Um, and, and to some extent, that's true, right? Because there's a lot of people that I speak to who aren't really passionate about the roles they do, and therefore it makes them very unhappy. Um, but I do think there is at least, well, a lot of mileage in actually following your skill set. Um, and naturally, usually your skill set or your strengths tend to be tend to be where your passion lies anyway. Um, so I, I do think that that is um, that, 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 that even in this environment is really important. Mm, so true. Now going back to what we're just talking about right now around the the lack of diversity in your field. How did you? feel stepping into that world and navigating that space that you said was alien to you and, and interacting with people that weren't necessarily from your world and the way you operate, especially you in London. London being so diverse and <laughs> multicultural, you'd expect it to be different. Yeah, so I, I've always had this challenge and it goes back to going back to Manchester and the schools that I went to. So my my father, I didn't grow up with my father, but uh, he was a Catholic. Uh, and my mum brought me up as a Catholic. Um, my, 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 myself, my little brother was a Catholic. Um, and therefore I went to Catholic schools. Uh, and the Catholic schools in Manchester at the time, uh, they weren't very diverse. Um, they had essentially were made up of 50% white English and 50% white Irish descent. Um, 
And it is that that I think I've got very used to code switching and moving from my family unit, moving from, you know, where I actually grew up, you know, around the area that I grew up to the school environment. I got used to changing um, the way I speak, the way I behave in each of those environments. Um, so I, I think actually that's held me in relatively good stead in the workplace. Um, that said, it was very difficult. It was very difficult. Uh, and, you know, part of it was being away from that home environment and being away from the family environment as well, as as well as being, you know, someone that felt, felt a lot of the time like an outsider initially in the workplace. Um, so, I, and there have been lots, you know, lots of incidents, microaggressions, being mistaken as a cleaner, a janitor, a, yeah, a security guard, um, being subjected to some, you know, pretty abhorrent microaggressions um, uh, in the workplace. Um, but it's only really since I've started mentoring people that I've really started to understand the impact that can have on people. Uh, when it was happening to me, um, I, I just I just saw it as a reason to keep working harder um, and prove people wrong. Wow. And we don't know, obviously, the whole working hard notion, working twice as hard and how that gets you. And just based on what you just touched on right now, did you see the impact of you working hard and made a difference in the way that people received you? Or Yeah, so um, th there is one thing that made me work harder, a lot harder, um, at least initially. Uh, I, I got a, a review, a, an end of year review, and my work ethic was questioned. You know, that's when it really dawned on me that I've got to go work a lot harder than, than I even was. Um, to some extent, you know, that's helped me to get, I think that's helped me to progress in my career. But at the same time, I do think the sacrifice has been... Um, when I talk about, you know, I talk about prioritizing and talk about um, work-life balance and things like that. I do think that the sacrifice has been that. Um, the, the, the other point which I'd stress is I realize for whatever reason, and maybe it's this code switching and at a very early age, I realized that working hard was also about working hard in relationships. And uh, that to me, if you think of every job move that I've had since the first role, relationships have been a key to me getting that getting that role. And all of my managers that I've ever had um, in the workplace, I still have strong relationships with them now. I still mentor, so they still mentor me in a way. In fact, I, I mentor them as well now. Uh, so I... I I do think that we get confused what working hard really is. 
uh, working hard to me is working hard on your weaknesses and working hard in the areas that you that, that you're uncomfortable uh, not just the areas that you're strong on so to me that social side building relationships it, it is an area that sometimes people don't see as working hard and see as playing politics but i see that as actually in order to progress you know you have to be liked <laughs> and and the way the way to be liked is by building on relationships um with with your peers your, your juniors but also but also very importantly your seniors yeah i think you mentioned the examples you gave about the different roles you moved into where people you previously worked with so i would love some practical tips from you on how to how to build and develop and nurture relationships especially for those who an environment which again is people they're not naturally used to so it'd be quite good to learn from you so one of the things i realized or have realized is in order to get and it's from the mentoring really um people say to me look i'm working really hard here and i haven't had a promotion in x amount of years and then you dig deeper into the into the conversation and you and you're saying well and you ask them well you know what does your manager think your weaknesses are they don't know okay um have you had a conversation with your manager about your own career development and what your vision is where you're going what you want to achieve from your career and the answer is no uh, have you had a conversation with your boss's boss so you understand the wider business um, and how you fit into that. And the answer is usually no. So one of the things that, you know, in those mentoring conversations, I encourage people to do is to start having those conversations. Start understanding your weaknesses. Start under And your weaknesses might not be what you think your weaknesses are, might not be what other people think your weaknesses are. So understand what other people, because re realistically, when it comes to promotion, it doesn't really matter what you think. It matters what everybody, what other people think, because they're the ones who, who are going to who are going to rate you, right? So, so, so I think I think that that has been that has been key. Um, I think being reliable um, to uh, your managers is really helpful as well. Um, you know, when when things really go wrong or when they really need that help, being able to step in is is really important. And, and that that doesn't get forgotten, um, I, I, and yeah, so, so I think I think they're they're the key things, and and then just having an open, transparent relationship as well. Um, what I've realised over time is that um, being transparent and being open is, you know, it, it is it is a very good way to show authenticity, uh, and I think people sometimes get confused about what authenticity really is. Um, but to me, it's being open, being transparent, and just trying to be uh, trying to be as much of yourself as possible. Mm. And I'm very interested to learn where did you actually pick up those those skills? Was that from the schools that you went to, like you talked about in Manchester growing up? Or was that from you just observing the environments that you're operating in, and then, or was that even from your relationship at home with your with your wife, for example, and those kind of things? Well, I think the first thing is um, just just on the working hard point is 
Uh, I definitely think I picked up from my mum. Um, uh, so my mum, you know, single parent, um, had a big family unit around around her. Um, you know, six so five sisters, one of six girls, and and three brothers. A grandmother who used to go around to her house every Saturday. Um, so that family unit was was really important to me. I had lots of cousins, so lots of socialising there. Again, that that really that that I think that has held me in really good stead, particularly when uh, at times where things aren't going well. Um, but yeah, I think being able to forge friendships in the school environment uh, have definitely helped me forge friendships and build relationships in the work environment. Um, but also it was an observation that actually to be happy at work, um, to progress at work, actually building meaningful relationships is really important. Um, and, and, and therefore, you know, that's what, um, that's what I've strived to I've, I've strived to do. I, I, I suppose that the, the, the other thing, the last thing I'd, I'd say is that um, eventually, um, it took me kind of three to five years to realise this, but understanding that your network is so powerful, is so powerful. And if you look at your network as helping you to, helping you fill in your gaps, you know, everyone's got gaps in their skill set. But if you then have a network that can that that can fill some of those gaps, that, that's that's re- that's really important. Yeah, I guess that's why it's also important to have a difference in your network and not have everything all the same because you learn from different people and you you get those skills from different people as well. Yeah, I agree. And have you ever felt like um, giving up on your journey? through the different places you've worked in, different obstacles you've had to overcome, the microaggressions you've dealt with. Have you ever just thought like, this is just, I can't bother this anymore. <laughs> I want to do something different. Every so often, I, I think, you know, why am I doing this? Um, in particular, when I think about the diversity work that, that, that I do, I think, you know, well, if all the change that I'm going to make is marginal and it's going to take a generation to make this change, then why spend all this energy trying to create these small changes? Uh, and every so often I, 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 come, I come up against that, that, that roadblock. Uh, and a number of times throughout my career, I, I've thought, you know, I have thought, why am I doing this? But I think it goes back again to growing up and seeing my mum provide for both myself and my brother um, and seeing the drive that she had to do that, that, you know, that really drives me on. And now my mum looks at me and when I talk to her about this, she kind of looks at me and says, um, she, you know, she looks at me and says, well, you know, why are you, why are you so driven? Like, and, and I, I kind of point back to her and say, it's because of you, but she goes, she's, she's <laughs> she was never as driven as that. So, so, um, 
so but but i think you know that that was a it was just a huge example to me and, and then you know um i always remember um and this may be a, a very strange memory but you know the song monday's child is fair of face tuesday's child is full of grace um i'm a saturday's child which means i work half my living and my mum always said to me that um that you're a saturday's child so you've got to work hard for your living um, and so probably that, <laughs> that um, uh, uh, my mum's drive and, and that song kind of stand, you know, kind of stand out in my in my mind as, as a reason why just 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 not not to give one of the, one of the things I always talk to my children about is um, you know just, d- d- never give up never give up you know keep on keep on trying keep on striving uh, and there's the uh, Martin Luther King quote and I'll probably get it all wrong now. Um, but you'll know which you'll know which one I'm talking about. If you can't, you know, if you can't, um, if you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. Uh, I, I, that's something I strongly believe in. Just keep on moving forward, whatever you do. Yeah, I love that quote. And just speaking about the work that you do around um, diversity, you're doing a lot of work around diversity. Actually, let's break it down. But I'm going to go first into like talk about black and how did that come about? That really came about when I started to take on a, a lead role in diversity at Elgin. Um, so I, I'd always done a fair amount of work on the diversity side. So at Aon and Merrill Lynch, I was involved in the diversity. Uh, the diversity networks, but the CIO and CEO, after I took on this diversity role within Elgin, uh, spoke to me, got me into a room, and said, "Look, when we look at our investment floor and we look at the industry, we see there aren't that many black fund managers. Why is that the case?" And I was like, that's a very big question. <laughs> um, uh, and so I said, I'd get back to them. And then at the time, there was a, a group called the Diversity Project Forming, which was an amalgamation of different companies in the investment sector looking to create inclusion, looking to drive inclusion and create, and create um, you know, change and create more representative asset management workforce. So I, I popped along to the ethnicity work stream there and they were answering this exact question that my CEO and CIO had had asked me, you know, or they're asking the same question, you know, why are there so few black people in top investment sales and C-suite roles? And, you know, one of the reasons we thought, or, or one of the reasons that, create this problem of underrepresentation is that it just wasn't spoken about. So pre-George Floyd um, and the, the death of George Floyd uh, last year, ethnicity, people were so uncomfortable talking about it. Um, uh, so, so therefore, we felt actually uh, creating a platform called Talk About Black, where we actually normalised the conversation around ethnicity, just made a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, th- that platform has gone from strength to strength. 
Um, we've got, you know, a number of areas that we focus on. So you've got community uh, where, you know, uh, yeah, community pipeline, entry level and progression. And, you know, right across what we call those kinks in the hose pipe, which stop the talent from getting through. Uh, we try and kink each of those to really uh, drive change in the asset management industry, but also beyond that. And it, and, and it is a lot of work. It definitely is a lot of work, but it's something that I feel passionate about and I, and I, and I, truly, I truly believe in, in order to create a, a more representative industry and industries across the UK that we've got to start on kinking that hose pipe. I'm actually intrigued on two levels Well, something you mentioned. The fact that your CEO and CIO observe that there's a problem that's something that it's not always talked about that much because a lot of times it's like, oh, this, this the leaders at the top, they're white and they're not, they don't care about what's going on underneath. How, how was that conversation? It was, to be honest, it's a conversation that Elgin have been very open to having. I think Elgin are seen as being leaders in diversity and inclusion in the asset management industry. And I think rightly so, because they're willing to have those difficult conversations. They're willing to unpick the reasons for underrepresentation. And I think that holds them in really, in really good stead, to be honest with you. And they've been very supportive of, you know, let's be honest, it is quite a, a difficult issue to discuss. And they've been very honest and transparent, open to the world, uh, to the to their client base and on you know outlets just social media in the media about where they stand and, and i think that is that is extremely powerful uh, and since then the cio and the ceo have changed and um, but the culture the culture and the drive to create a more representative industry is 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 still there so now you could argue that i've been a big input into that into into driving that conversation but you also need a business and a company which supports you through that. And, and Elgin have definitely done that. Oh. Sounds like it's uh, some cultural habits that a lot of, of organizations need to take on board and embody. I, I think so. I think so. And this is where the diversity projects actually is, is very helpful because it means that people can see what, good practices and actually look to partner and emulate that and that helps drive change right yeah it does but have you ever felt that you speaking about race creating talk about black the diversity projects those kind of things would hold you back or in your career or be a problem or have you felt that it was you being in that position, you had to speak about it, you didn't have a choice? I think it's dawned on me that I have to. Um, because if I don't, then who will? You know, if, if, if I've got to my position and I'm not really willing to have open conversation about ethnicity, about representation, about diversity, about inclusion, 
then who who's who's going to do that? Um, uh, and you know, over the last few years, I've got to say, you know, LinkedIn it just is completely blowing up, and you know, you got like lots of like people who aren't in the position that I'm in. Uh, asking for you know mentoring meetings, asking for advice, asking for help, asking for guidance, and as that has gained momentum, that's just reinforced my my feeling on if if I don't at least take some sort of leadership in this area, then then who will? And it's worth noting. My passion doesn't isn't just in ethnic diversity. It's also I've done a lot for, from a gender perspective. You know, I vote. I've, uh, I'm a judge on the Women Investment Awards, the Investment Week Women Investment Awards. I help design uh, the Women Investments Festival. Um, it's actually diversity across the board, and also I head up all of the networks within Elgin that drive diversity across uh, across the organisation as well as doing the talk about black work. So it's not just, importantly, it's not just ethnic diversity that I'm passionate about. It's, it's actually representation across the board. See, I'm, that's, why, that's why I said you do a lot. I didn't want to say it. I wanted you to say it for yourself, like, you do a lot. <laughs> I think there's so many times, yeah, we're so humble and we're like, Oh, I'm just gonna brush over like no, like you. What you do is really trying to drive change, and you've been doing this for years. So that's why I'm like, yes, Justin, speak up, say what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing about talking about black that I really liked was it's not just you. There's a there's a number of you guys who've come come together and are working together to drive this forward, which is amazing. And that's it, right? It's a number of like-minded people. Um, driving change within the industry and beyond, but importantly, it's not just important. It's not just it's not just black people. It's actually if you look at the the membership now, we are over the, the last um, the last the talk we did in June, we got like one thousand seven hundred people on on the call, um, and it's all different ethnicities. You look at the the last call we did, a thousand people, uh, that was. Um, a mix of 50 50 um ethnic, ethnic minorities and and um and, 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 and white people so to me if we're really going to create the change actually we need everybody to engage no matter what ethnicity you are and i think that's been that that's probably been the most pleasing thing of talk about black is just just how inclusive almost the drive to greater uh, representation has been together we'll succeed exactly exactly <laughs> i'm curious to find out what your definition of leadership you lead teams you've had great leaders you worked with your mentor and different things you're involved with so how do you define leadership that's a really good question i think my definition of leadership is changing over time actually and you know I'm a big Manchester United fan, um, so <laughs> so I, I, I've been brought up, you know, throughout my my childhood, I suppose, or uh, with Alex Ferguson, um, and he, he did a great book on on leadership, which um, 
Uh, and, you know, people people think that, you know, his leadership was about the hairdryer treatment and so on and so forth. But actually, it was being able to adjust to different personalities and provide a platform for people to meet their potential. So leadership to me it is simply that. It's knowing how to adapt your behavior so that other people that you work with can get to that can get to their full potential um yeah so, so, so that's probably the the, the definition that, 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 I, that i would give and i think this is really important because people think that leaders have to be senior but actually you don't have to be senior to be a leader uh, and i think that anybody anybody can actually show can, can actually show leadership within the organization but actually outside of organizations as well in what way? In what way? So you can show leadership at home, right? You can, you, with, with your with your with your family by you know doing things like putting things in the calendar and prioritizing. Right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I, I say to um, one of the big challenges, I think, of I do these mentoring circles. I do them every month. Um, for people who are just starting off in the industry between zero and 10 years uh, experience. I'd love to get you on there, actually, to, to, to be to be a mentor. Um, and it really is just giving advice to people who are just starting in the industry about navigating their own career. Uh, and one of the things I encourage people to take leadership in is leadership of their own personal development. It is amazing amazing to when you dig deeper and how you have conversations with people about where do they want to be long term how do they want to develop and people can't answer those questions so if you can't and if you personally cannot answer those questions then it's very difficult for an outside organization your manager your company to really formulate your own personal development. Your personal development has to be driven. I, I, I truly believe this. Your personal development should be driven by yourself. Your company should be there to support you. Your manager should be there to support you. But you need to drive that personal development yourself. And I think that is, is, is really important. So going back to your question, that's where I think people can really show leadership in driving their own career and, and, where, and, and where they want to be. And, and listen, you will have setbacks, right? And everybody has setbacks. And I, I, I'm I'm privileged in a way that, you know, maybe I've had less setbacks than some other people, but, you know, some, some of, the, some of the, the, men, the mentees that I speak to. Um, but still, but still, I, I think it's important. The, the people who, the, the people who can navigate the, these businesses, the people who can deal with these microaggressions are typically the people who, understand where they want to be. See, those are the gems we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) You talked about your mom a number of times and how she raised you and and your brother. And um, what would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned from your mom, apart from what you've said so far? Uh, 
I think it was a few things actually. The the, the first one, uh, one was a teacher. So education, I think, is really key to social mobility, uh, and it's not just being academic. Um, it is actually thinking education maybe just outside of the national curriculum constantly learning um developing your emotional intelligence again that's that to me that's education um so my mum taught me that um the the, imp- the importance of education and then going back to the, the couple of things that i said you know drive um i think that the reason why i've got a bit of a hard head i'm a bit stubborn <laughs> um, i'm focused is because of of my mum and the drive that, uh, that 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 she showed, and then I think it's the importance of of family and how important it is to have a support network around you, because things aren't always going to go well, and you have to really try and build a network around you. That can support you in those in those in those bad in those ta- bad times. So I can still you know call them up today and say you know this has happened today you know I, you know how, how should I navigate that? Uh, and actually, a lot of time it's just her listening, uh, which 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 really gives me that guidance. And and you know and she'll, she'll a lot of the time I come up with the answer myself, and she'll just say, well if you th- if you think that then then that's great, you know. <laughs> and and it's almost just that kind of that that her not disapproving, which which gives me um which 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 gives me that that, that support, and, and and you know as you get older and you move from you know location and move companies, that support network can change, but actually having it there is it is just really important, and it's not just family, it's friends as well, and it's and it's ex colleagues and colleagues. Mm-hmm. The power of the network. A few more questions I want to ask you. Obviously, you got two beautiful daughters. Mm. When you look at your, from when you grew up to where they are right now, completely different lifestyles that they're living to, to where you grew up. Yeah. So, how do you bring them up, and how do you raise them, especially based on all you've gone, all you are currently doing right now, and the world they're currently living in? What kind of skills are you bringing up and raising them with spirit to learn and adopt and take on to navigate in the best possible way? Yeah, so I think one thing to realise is as a parent, you're always learning and similar to being a leader, what I've realised is there's no right, there's not necessarily a right or wrong way to be a parent. Um, so what I'm determined to do, I'm trying to do, is to make sure that they, you know, they are, that they remain grounded. Uh, they recognise, maybe not where they come from, but where I came from. <laughs> um, because I think, I, I think that, that, that that's really important. Um, they understand the va- and value education. They understand and value working hard. Um, which is, you know, two of my beliefs, which which I've, I've already mentioned. Um, 
but they're both very different personalities. So being, again, being a father, being a leader to me is just helping them fulfill their potential. Um, and the way you do it might be different in each of their cases. Um, but I think that that's really important. And I think the other thing, um, the last thing I'd say is it is important to to push people um, to fulfil that potential. But there is really a quite a delicate balance between pushing people too much and helping them to fulfil that potential. And that's something that I think is different for each person. So learn how to do that is something that I, I'm still, you know, it's a skill I'm still trying to develop. Um, and, you know, hopefully, you know, hope, hopefully I will get there. Otherwise, <laughs> no, no, I, I think, you know, I think, um, I, I, you know, I think with the support, as I say, my, my, my wife, the grandparents, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I think, I think we'll, we'll, um, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, see, that's, so a lot of times when people talk around, um, also if you're prior to COVID, we used to have the separation between work and home. Yeah. And what you just described right now is something that needs to happen at work. Recognizing that people are different and therefore you have to treat them individually. You have to push them, but you also create that safety around them. So know that even if they do fall, you're there to pick them up and to restore them. And that just comes from talking about your daughters. So it's those kind of principles that when you bring into that workplace, it makes such a massive difference. And to me, that truly is what authenticity is. That That is uh, being yourself. That's what it really means. And I, I, I think people get really confused about what authenticity is. Um, and look, you know, everybody has to adapt in in, in different situations. Um, and I, I went to I went to a talk um, by a personal branding coach, and, and he spoke to me about authenticity. And I, I think he described it really well. It's something that I've stolen from him, and I keep on using it now. Is that is that he said that you know if you take the earth and you cut it in half, and you've got the core in the middle and the mantle around the outside, right? And and he he, he, he said that you know that the core is the stuff, is the behaviours um, and the principles that you're not willing to change. But around that, there is a level of adaption that everybody has to go through. The difficulty is, the more different you are to the majority, typically the more you have to adapt and, and that become, that's where it, 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 gets, it gets complicated. But I do think that those core values that you have at home, you know, why wouldn't they be? Why wouldn't you have those same core values in the workplace? Yeah, completely agree. Hundred percent agree. And this one question I want to know: What does success mean to you? Yes, yeah, so I'm still trying to work that out. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so um, I, I I think that success is is having a vision, a long term vision, and being able to, at the end of each year, being closer to that long-term vision than you were at the start of the year. Uh, and and that vision is different for everybody. Um, but the, the as I say, the difficulty 
that a lot of people have is trying to understand what that vision actually is. Um, so, yeah, I think being very clear on that vision and being able to say, am I closest that vision that I was two years ago, three years ago? That to me, that to me is success. Are there any tools you can give people who are trying to craft the individual vision that has helped you when you've created yours or? I think it's just really understanding what you're, what you want to be remembered for, what you want your legacy to be. If you weren't in the room, what would you want people to say about you? Uh, to, to me, those it's those things that help you define what your what your vision is. Beautiful. This last question would be: How can people connect with you and all the wonderful things that you're doing? No, I always say please connect with me on, on LinkedIn. I do answer all of my messages. Um, it may take me a little bit of time to get get around to all of them, but I do, I do, I do connect to all of them. And I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn and um, Instagram. And, 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 and all of those places as well. So Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, but LinkedIn is probably the main way of of, of connecting with me. Um, yeah. Justin, I just want to say thank you for your time today. Thank you for the pearls of wisdom. More importantly, for the work that you're doing, it's making such a, a massive difference, especially... Um, like last year and the resurgence of conversations that were, were being had in such an industry. I worked in finance, so, so I know a lot about funds. So I know how hard it was and difficult it was in the industry, but I know how having these kind of open conversations that you're dealing with different things you're involved is making such a massive difference to people. And you already live in that, that long-term vision and that legacy we're talking about. When people talk about you know, changes you're making, it's already come to fruition. So loving the work thank you for having me on this is everyday leadership i'll see you soon thank you for listening to this episode of everyday leadership you can check out the show notes on www.mindsetshift.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can find out more about my guests and how you can contact them you can listen to old episodes Or if you have a question about this episode or any other episodes, you can just press a button and ask me that question and I'll answer it on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, share this podcast with someone else. We'll see you next time on Everyday Leadership.